This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 5, Episode 14. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022, and I'm your host, Riley Bowman. Joined today by Jacob Paulson. Howdy, 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 howdy. The one, the only. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> uh, it's crazy, you know, we, we have for sure officially now passed the uh, six-year mark of doing the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, hard to, like, wrap your head around that a little bit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 2016 when we launched this uh this endeavor and here we are still going strong one of the things we've been doing since practically the beginning is covering justified save stories as we call them or all otherwise known as defensive gun uses uh we call them justified saves because they are justified uses of deadly force being used to save people's lives so justified saves is our term and we got a doozy of a bunch of stories today i mean just just wild crazy stuff talking about it beforehand i mean everything from just crazy online stalker stuff to uh world war three nuclear war concerns people going crazy over that and shooting and killing people uh to underage minors using their parents presumably their parents guns to defend themselves at home and that's always a controversial thing, but it's a thing and it happens and it's far from the first time that's ever been covered on this podcast. So I look forward to getting into it with my man Jacob here. But first, you should know that today's episode is sponsored by CCW Safe. In fact, I'm sporting the shirt right here. CCW Safe is our preferred choice of self-defense coverage. Jacob, I'd like to hear from you a little bit about that. It's usually me talking about CCW Safe's uh coverage and, and and you know the fact that i've been a member now a few years and very proud of that fact so why are you a ccw safe member we're uniquely qualified to have an opinion uh you know we have we've been in the uh headquarters of most of these companies in this space we know people on the board of most of the companies in this space we're friends with people who work for all the companies uh, most of the companies in this space and so there's a lot of good providers in this space. And I think it's important that first and foremost, you just have coverage. And if my friends from CCW Safe were here, they'd say the same thing. They'd say, listen, you know, what's, what's, what's most important is that you have coverage, whether it's from them or someone else. But CCW Safe is amazing. <clears throat> someone asked me the other day what was, what was special about CCW Safe and why I would recommend them. And the first thing that I said, this is what I'll share today here, is that CCW Safe is the only company that when you call the 1-800-CRAP-HIT-THE-FAN phone number, the person who answers that phone is a former homicide investigator who has shot people. And I don't think you can put enough value in that. This is this is not just some random employee who got trained in, you know, crisis management and, you know, helping people, you know, stay calm and, and is really good at making phone calls to lawyers in your area and writing you checks. Like the person who answers the phone has has put bullets into other people, has taken shots, you know, in their direction 
and has shown up on the scene of homicides as an investigator and gathered evidence and, and built a case. So this is somebody who, who gets it beyond your, your comprehension, uh, you know, really understands what you're going through and what is about to ha- take place. And, and this, and when I'm talking about one person, like there's a, there's a team of people that could answer that phone call. All of them meet that criteria. I'm describing every single person on the CCW safe team who answers the hotline is somebody who has shot somebody and has shown up on a crime scene as a homicide investigator. Yep. There you go. Uh, I, I, I agree. I think that is a unique value that the CCW safe team brings to uh, their product. That is something that is not necessarily articulated or advertised. Um, but that's what we bring to you here on this podcast is again, Jacob mentioned, we, we, we know these companies, many of them pretty intimately on a personal level and know who's involved and know who's doing what. And that is a powerful thing to have as your advocate, a company like CCW safe that knows precisely what you are dealing with. If you're the one that's had to draw and use your gun in self-defense. Check out CCW Safe today, ccwsafe.com for membership. Don't forget that Guardian Nation members save, is it 20, 15%? 20%. 2 20. 20%. Sometimes I forget which percentages we're using. Um, so that, that, that's, a, that's a big, big, yeah, 20%. That's right. Because it's a significant discount. And, and as far as I know, about the biggest discount you can get off of that. So you want to maybe check out Guardian Nation membership. By the way, all podcast listeners can save at least 10% by using the discount code CC podcast as well. So everybody gets a little something just, just for listening to this podcast. Speaking of Guardian Nation membership, getting discounts. One of those discounts is also off of ammunition sold by our partner, Mountain City Supply. You can find them at mountaincitysupply.com. Uh, Mountain City Supply, ammunition made right here, local to us in Colorado, but they ship dang near everywhere in the country. That they, that they legally can. <laughs> and uh, they make quality ammunition. They have strict quality control standards that many, if not most, smaller ammunition manufacturers probably don't have or are, are unable to to, uh, to accommodate. I mean, they have a whole machine that uses a bunch of crazy lasers and cameras and gadgets and whizmos and whatever stuff. Gizmos, whizmos, widgets that... <laughs> QC their ammo uh, at a level that is just phenomenal. Uh, it's important to them to make the highest quality product that they can. And that is one of the reasons why I have chosen to use and shoot Mountain City Supply Ammo. It's one of the reasons why we brought them on board uh, for our Guardian Nation members. They're a sponsor of our Guardian Conference in September, just like they were last year, because I know that they care. I know that they're working hard. And every bit of feedback I've given them, they're like, yep, we're on it. We're doing everything we can to make the best stuff possible and at an affordable, reasonable price, especially considering today's market, which, as you probably know, has some instability with everything going on over there in Ukraine and Russia and everything. So uh, I'll tell you, though, Mount City Supply, they're on top of that. They're they, they well-stocked, well-supplied. Uh, and they're not sourcing stuff from from Russia either for those that care about that. So uh, that's important to know, I think, and know that uh, they are going to continue cranking on ammunition at a great price. If you're looking for your 
ammunition needs. 9 millimeter, 40, 45, 3, 38 special, 357 magnum, 44 magnum. They also have rifle calibers, 223556. Uh, they actually just started producing. Uh, it's in pre-sale mode right now. 3030 Winchester. That's kind of cool, right? Uh, and more stuff coming. So, and I didn't even list everything they make either. So, check them out mountaincitysupply.com. Yeah, we thank you. We thank our sponsors for support of the podcast. Let's go now to our first story. We mentioned that we got a bunch of crazy ones today. Um, man, uh, I, I'm gonna go ahead and let Jacob take the lead on this. But this first one comes out of Kentucky, involves a former Kentucky state representative. He's a retired bi- businessman that owns a, a beautiful estate down there somewhere in uh, it's Madison County, Kentucky. And boy, that family had their world flipped upside down in a right hurry because of a absolute crazy man with a, just a crazy set of motives as far as we can tell. So what? T- t- give us the rundown on this story, Jacob. I'll try and, and tell this one in, in the closest thing to a narrative that I can based on the info I have here. So first, it's it's noteworthy because it's going to come up later in the story that this estate, this home that this family lives in, uh, was recently got a lot of media attention. Uh, the home was up for sale, and uh, the unique feature of this home is that it has a underground bunker. And uh, in fact, I remember when this <clears throat> this home got some went kind of viral because it was featured on the Zillow you know, cool home Instagram account or whatever, which my wife follows closely. And she showed me, she's like, Hey, check it out. The house with a bunker for selling. I'm like, Hey, that's cool. So, so this house got a bunch of media attention, got, you know, kind of their, their Zillow listing went you know, viral because they had this bunker and that was a big deal. So fast forward a little bit here. And here's, here's what I'm going to attempt to put together as a narrative. So on uh, a Sunday, just, you know, I think this most recent Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, February 27th, you have uh, a man, the bad guy, who climbs some scaffolding that's at the house and kicks in a door. So presumably, because it mentions climbing scaffolding, I, I presume that the door is on like a second level of the house. So he climbs some scaffolding to a second level of the house, uh, a bit of an assumption, and kicks in a door. And he enters a uh, bedroom of uh, one of the occupants of the home, which is the daughter of the, you know, Mr. Morgan, who's the former state representative, a 32-year-old 32, 32 uh, young woman. So we're not talking about, you know, a young woman. We're talking about an adult who, who lives in this home with, with her parents. So he you know, kicks in this door and, uh, you know, opens, opens fire. And it says that he shot her probably six, seven, or eight times with an AR-15. Uh, is the quote from the story here. So she she passed. That that deal is done. She's dead. Now, this gunfire wakes up other occupants of the home, uh, specifically Mr. You know, Morgan, former Representative Morgan, and he says he opens the French doors coming out of his bedroom, so his bedroom's got some French doors, and he sees the BG, the bad guy. And the BG is, quote, coming down the steps with his AR-15, dressed in his little army fatigues, and he had a flak jacket on or a bulletproof vest. At that time, he opened fired on me, end quote. So Mr. Morgan comes out of his bedroom, opens his French doors, sees the BG. BG is in his army fatigues, and he's got some sort of you know, flak vest, bulletproof jacket, Kevlar or something on. 
and he you know has eye contact with Mr. Morgan and he starts to fire on Mr. Morgan. Mr. Morgan says he immediately hits the floor. I mean, just drops to the ground like, oh crap, I'm getting shot at. And in this in this particular exchange of gunfire, oh yeah, there's going to be more. In this particular exchange of gunfire, Mr. Morgan, the homeowner, is shot three times, twice in the arm and once in the hip. So he says he slams his French doors shut to his bedroom, and he and his wife, uh, excuse me, and his his wife at this point goes into their 14-year-old daughter's bedroom. So apparently they have at least two daughters. I don't know about other children, but at least two daughters. One is 14 and one is 32. And so the the wife uh, of Mr. Morgan, she goes into the 14-year-old's bedroom, presumably to uh, you know, take shelter there or to, you know, maybe retrieve or protect the 14-year-old. I you know, I don't I don't know. So meanwhile, Mr. Morgan, who's slammed his French door shot, shot, and he's been shot three times, he, quote, scampered across the floor behind my bed, came up with my SIG 9mm out of my top drawer, I, uh, end quote. And then he says, quote, I laid down on my bed and shot him 11 times. I shot at him 11 times, end quote. So he's you know slammed his french doors closed but presumably as he you know he crawls as he's been shot three times once in the hip so i'm guessing he's not terribly mobile but he gets over to his bed he retrieves the six hour nine millimeter we don't know what maker model other than you know it's a six hour i should i guess we do know the, the make we don't know the model and uh, he lays across his own bed and presumably the bg must enter through the french doors that had just been closed where they had just exchanged some some you know gunfire and Mr. Morgan starts firing, and he says he fires a total of 11 shots. He thinks he thinks he hit the guy a couple of times or at least once, but he, he doesn't know. Um, and and the, the news story would suggest that if he did hit him, it must have been in some sort of vest because it says that this guy was apprehended or uninjured. So you know, 11 or, le- or, or, or less shots you know, missed <laughs> is, is the takeaway here. So that's the you – know, there's, there's a – an exchange there. Now, uh, at this point, uh, the the BG, you know, he goes into the master bathroom. I don't know if it's connected to the master bedroom through which you know Mr. Morgan's laying on the bed. It's not entirely clear the layout that way. But in the meanwhile, Mr. Morgan retrieves a second handgun, and he says that he quote crawled away from the bed and took cover behind a couch. So. This is interesting because he's ex- he's already expended eleven rounds from his original uh, Sig nine millimeter. I don't know if he's got more ammo in that gun or not, but he par- apparently does have access to a secondary handgun right there in that exact space because it says he he retrieves a second handgun and then he crawls over to a couch. I I presume that this couch is in the same bedroom uh, because that that would seem most most practical or likely. And then, quote, I engaged him again when he came out of the master bathroom, and I think I shot him like eight times, end quote. And then another quote here, quote, I shot at him eight times, but again, I'm not positive I was hitting him because he had a flak jacket on, end quote. So at this point, now during the second exchange of fire, or I guess really the third exchange of fire, the first one where Mr. Morgan was just taking fire, the second one where he fired back with his SIG and shot 11 times from the bed. And now this is a third exchange of gunfire where he's shooting with an alternate handgun and he shoots at least eight times, according to him. Uh, So we're in the third exchange of gunfire. At this point now, Mr. Morgan also has retrieved a phone. It's not entirely clear exactly when, but he's retrieved a phone and he's on the phone with 911. 
and uh, he's talking to 911 what's going on. They, they hear gunfire on the 911 call, and somewhere after this third exchange of gunfire, the BG retreats out the front door of the home. Now, it's not over. <laughs> we have a fourth exchange of gunfire when Mr. Morgan, quote, fired at Gilday, that's the name of the BG, as he fled the home. He wasn't sure if Gilday was fleeing because, he, because he'd been hit or because Mr. Morgan called 911. End quote. And that's the that's the end of it. Now, 32-year-old daughter was apparently a lawyer, uh, you know, a professional in the community, well liked, well loved, and you know, there's there's a funeral service. And the, the last kind of note on this is at the funeral service, Mr. Morgan, who you know apparently has recovered to some degree from his three gunshot wounds, two in the arm and one in the hip. Uh, it gets a little bit frustrated with the media. They're interviewing him about what happened at his daughter's you know, a vigil being held for his daughter. Uh, I said funeral service. I should have clarified at a vigil. So he's at a vigil for his daughter's death, and the media is interviewing him about what happened. And he gets a bit frustrated and expresses uh, some of that frustration, saying that it's at least in part the media's fault. Um, it, it, he says that it, it's possible that this man was breaking in because they have this fully stocked bunker beneath the house. Apparently, there's some backstory here. Our BG, uh, according to a statement from the BG's mother, uh, said that he had, quote, not been of sound mind the last couple of weeks, distraught with the certainty a nuclear war is imminent, end quote. Quote, he spoke of building a bunker and the CIA following him. I tried to get him psychiatric help, but to no avail, end quote. So, a bit of an assumption here that our BG broke into Mr. Morgan's house because he had a well-advertised viral bunker and, and this person apparently had some psychiatric issues and was in, in search of or wanted to be in a bunker, thought a nuclear war was imminent, and had told his mom as much. And at this vigil where you know this, this interview is being taken place by the media, uh, Mr. Morgan is pretty upset with the media. He says, quote, you guys, speaking to the media, are mostly what the problem is. Because they took, they made an article after article after article over that shelter in my house, which I have a right to build as long as I've got legal money to, that I do it with. And you sent that out to people like this deal day, the BG, who can't buy a piece of property worth six and a half million dollars, but it goes to him and all of a sudden he has some kind of fantasy over it. You've got to quit putting stuff out because it causes young ladies like my daughter, 32 years old, to get killed, end quote. So to some degree, Mr. Morgan is blaming the media because you know a, a listing for a six and a half million dollar house doesn't need to be seen by every Joe Schmo you know whack job in the world. It only really needs to be seen by people who are in the market to buy a six and a half million dollar house. And he feels that the creating a viral sensation out of his ho- home listing led to this unwanted attention, which potentially led to the BG entering the house and killing his thirty two year old daughter. How's that for a narrative of an otherwise absolutely crazy incident? Bro, um, I read this not once, but probably a couple of times before we went live with this. Um, And hearing you tell it again, like it's still, I I just sit here and shake my head. It's it's, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, I mean, we have apparently a mentally unfit individual uh, that's had some kind of breakdown as you mentioned, he was concerned about imminent nuclear war. I imagine that was probably stoked by what's going on over overseas in Ukraine and Russia and, and, you know, all the saber rattling they're doing and, and, you know, raising their nuclear war 
readiness or status or whatever. And it just like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of like, we're not here to talk about Ukraine here today necessarily, but that I figure has got to tie into all this somehow. This guy sees a bunch of media about this house with a bunker and thinks, man, I need a bunker, you know? And next thing you know, he's showing up at this dude's house and breaking in and shooting his family up. Um, it's terrible that his daughter lost her life. Uh, yeah. fortunate. Nobody else did. Well, let's let's stop there for a second, Riley, because I think there are some actual like practical lessons. Mo- oh, I'm going to sure. go out on a limb and assume that the majority of our listeners to the podcast do not own six and a half million dollar homes uh, mm-hmm. with bunkers. So you might be inclined to dismiss that and be like, "Oh, well, that's <laughs> I probably don't have that problem." I mean? yeah. yeah, it's not going to be. The, but but the the problem is there are there are, the the takeaway is not you know there are crazies who want to buy you know steal homes with bunkers the takeaway is there's bad people and crazies out there who are motivated by reasons you personally wouldn't comprehend uh you know it, it could be as simple as a thing as uh, if you're listening to the show i know you own guns and so it, it's not uncom- it's not unheard of it's not unheard of for homes to be targeted by criminals because that home has guns in it and criminals need guns. And so they come in guns ablazing in order to acquire more guns. That's happened many a time. That's very well documented, you know, pattern. So that's something that everybody listening to this could, could uh, identify with. And we're going to have a late, another story later today where it's simple thing is a, you know, a girl's got a stalker online and that leads to somebody coming into a violent intrusion. So, so the, the first lesson for me here is, like, don't don't assume that you know your home's not going to be a target of some wacko looking for a nuclear bunker. While that's true, your home could be a target for any number of weird, crazy stuff you wouldn't have imagined. Uh, so it's not always like, well, I live in a good neighborhood, and you know, I lock my doors at night. Like, well, this dude had a massive estate. I've seen I've seen pictures. There's one in the news story, and he's got a pretty well fenced in estate. Though there's some some certainly some vulnerability there. It's not all perfectly fenced. And a simple thing is some scaffolding. So presumably there's some home renovation going on. Some scaffolding gets left out. And a, a door. It didn't say it came in through an unlocked door. No, kicked in the door. So you know this is this is not an issue of somebody unlock leaving a door unlocked. This is somebody violently entering the home. Like it. it it's not that far of a stretch, my point, to to, to see something similar, if, if you take my meaning. It could happen to any one of us. Now, this is a guy coming in with an AR-15 in fatigues. Like, he's not here to steal a TV. <laughs> yeah, and this is the sort of thing that you almost, hmm, I don't want to say you can't prepare for, but uh, you can't make this crap up. You know, I mean, this is uh, this is not your typical home break-in, where the individual comes in prepared in the way that this one did, uh, apparently wearing body armor. Like that's not that common, uh, especially in a home invasion scenario. Maybe more common in like a public mass shooting of some kind or something, but not not this kind of context necessarily. This is a very unique situation. But you're you're right. There's there's all kinds of uh, lessons we can we can pull from this. I was thinking a lot of the same stuff. Uh, being careful what you put out there publicly about your own personal preparations and readiness, what you have and what you don't have. Um, it, it this is something I've 
struggled with a little bit, Jacob, because, you know, we, we put ourselves out there in a public way. I mean, like, obviously people know who we are and they know that we do gun stuff. Um, and I've, I've talked about, you know, home defense in, in my own personal context, but I'm still very careful about what I put out there uh, as far as what's publicly known, what's publicly available, uh, what kind of uh, home defense plan specifically I have in place. Um, I've said some things, but only things that I think are, um, you know, that I'm not concerned about putting out there. But this does give me cause to, to even ponder that some more. Um, but some of that's the nature of uh, living a, a life more in the public uh, eye than the, the average person does. So be careful with that stuff. Uh, think further about your personal home defense plan. And uh, how you can harden the protection of your home and property. And then, of course, you know, what your last resort response to anything that's able to break beyond that and and what that looks like. You know, in this case, uh, we had a prolonged gun battle inside this dude's home uh, where he was outmatched in terms of firepower. uh, But he was still able to prevail, fortunately. Uh, miraculously even uh, remarkably I mean uh, just and he was already struck three times by the time he crawled back and was able to retrieve his pistol by rounds from, from an AR so these are likely pretty serious wounds even if they're in the extremities they they do some damage right yeah a so, shot to the hip is going to leave a person with some serious problems absolutely um, the other things other takeaways uh he said that he's confident he struck this individual with gunshots. He shot at least that we know of 19 rounds. Um, and uh, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of rounds sent your adversary's direction. Um, how accountable are you being for each of those rounds? And if you're shooting somebody where you should high thoracic chest cavity region of the body and you're dang near a full magazine worth of ammo, you know, into that and things aren't working might be a, a, that might be the time to try something different, targeting (laughs) a different, you know, target of the body. Um, He saw how this man was dressed. He apparently was aware that he had in his words, quote unquote, a flak jacket, which is probably more like a plate carrier and perhaps some body armor. Um, that might be a clue that I, I can't be shooting this man in the, in the chest. I need to be targeting head, neck. But, but that aside, man, someone's got some sort of, you know, armor. You put four, three, two, one, you know, five shots into the, into the chest. It's going to have a pretty significant impact. Um, I mean, it it can, it kind of depends on that armor, like pistol rounds against, rifle rated ceramic plates isn't going to have the same kind of effect as if he's wearing soft bonnet. Not armor. the same kind of effect, but it's going to have an effect. Like <clears throat> it's, sure. it's at very least going to probably knock someone over and make them think twice about, you know, how comfortable it is to get back up. Uh, and I'm saying maybe one shot, but it also recognize that stuff Not weakens. Yeah. We're talking about 19 shots. Uh, well, keep in mind that a lot of ceramic and, and high quality rifle armor can, can take multiple rounds from 30 out six or two, two, three. Um, honestly, a pistol round is 
nothing. You're going to feel it. Oh, you feel it, but put you out of the fight. I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Uh, maybe, maybe that would be interesting to see some more testing on that. We don't know much about it. We don't know what kind of armor it was. We don't know. No, it's true. It's true. Uh, so, so all that's fair. But, but what I, my point is, like one or two shots, you know, impacting in that in that in that armor, you know, maybe that's a bummer. Maybe it's time to aim somewhere else. Maybe it's not having the effect I want. But nineteen shots, you know, if you had a fifty percent hit rate, if eight of those had, had had some impact there, it's probably going to start to have an effect. So, so my point is, we don't know how many shots you know hit the target, but probably not very many. Yeah, unfor- and that's the other piece here. The other lesson learned is how good is our standard of training and skill, uh, and how accountable are we to the shots we fire? Um, because I kind of suspect, a l- I hate to say this, that a bunch of the rounds that the homeowner here fired Mr. Morgan fired probably didn't hit the target at all. And I know yeah. he's confident he, that he did, but here's the thing. When they arrested the, uh, the BG, he was completely un, uninjured. And if you're hitting body armor, which is 10 inches wide, 14 inches tall ish, give or take, I mean, there are various dimensions, but that's a rough, rough dimension, uh, a common one. Um, if some of those rounds are going to hit and there's going to be some that maybe don't, and you're, you're going to expect some peripheral injuries to be present. And this man was uninjured. So that doesn't bode well, but Hey, you know what? Who's the judge here? Uh, this man stared down an incredibly lethal threat, fought back valiantly, even though he was injured himself and managed to do just enough to thwart this attack. And break it off. Yeah, it would have been yeah. better to have to have solved the problem sooner <laughs> and more effectively. But he got the job done, and we commend him for doing what he did uh, in the face of, of incredible danger. And even after his his daughter, unfortunately, was was killed, um, absolutely terrible, uh, horrible, and don't wish it upon anybody. But uh, kudos to this man for keeping his wits about him enough to, to stay in the fight. That's really what he did here is he stayed in the fight. Well, I, I got more comments, Riley. Oh, okay. So apparently uh, this, 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 this one story is the whole episode. <laughs> it could, it could, we could have done an episode on this story, but yes, I, I, I think agree. there's some relevant, there's some relevant things here that I don't want to uh, skip over. Mm. You know, 19 rounds is a lot. And so yeah. if, if you have a handgun, you know, near the night, near the bed at night, uh, you know, one gun and it's got you know, 12 rounds in it. Like the, and, and you had similar, you know, success hit rate as Mr. Morgan, you could have been done. <laughs> it, it could have been over for you. This guy is interesting because, you know, he, he fires on Mr. Morgan first, Mr. Morgan retreats. He can, t- he approaches, he goes through a doorway. He fires some more. He gets, he takes some fire. He goes into a bathroom. He comes out, he takes fire again. Only then does he say, you know what, not worth it, and he leaves. So so it took a lot for this person to to stop. And this person was not physically stopped. This person was eventually emotionally stopped. But he, he got shot at 19 times before he decided to throw in the towel and come back and fight another day. So do you, do you have the firepower necessary for someone who's that determined to dissuade them uh, or to, you know, to survive the fight? I think, I think it's an interesting thing. The last thought... Uh, we don't know why the, the wife went to the other daughter's bedroom, 
but it, it certainly at least suggests or appears that it could have been like a prearranged response plan. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've had episodes about that and we, we discussed that in other, in other contexts. So no need to get into the details here, but you know, it's, it's entirely plausible that a guy who has two handguns by his bed might have a, a very you know, detailed response plan. And that might be what was put into action. And it very well, you know, very logically, practically could have included, you're going to go to our 14 year old's bedroom and do X, Y, Z. So something to think about. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, when you got minors in the home, especially like, or really when you got family members in the home, you, you have to, you have to, to, to be accountable for those, for those people. And, uh, uh, yeah. So I definitely, I read that as, Hey, our, our, we don't know about our older daughter. She's probably in a different part of the house. She's a grown, you know, woman. Um, but we have our 14 year old, we got to make sure she's okay. We got to go and get to her and protect her. Um, at, at least that's how I, how I read that. Yeah. Absolutely crazy story. Um, as, as mentioned, we probably couldn't, could have, could have made a whole episode about this. We've already spent half the, half of this episode talking about it. I'm going to recommend we actually jump to this, uh, social media one. Yeah. Even okay. though it's a little bit of a different order from what we originally had. Um, just because there's some correlation here, I think this is a natural segue. And and by that, I mean, here, here's the story. And I saw this one quite a bit on social media as well. This was getting spread around a fair amount because um, it's fairly noteworthy for a variety of reasons. Number one, it involves a online celebrity, essentially. This is a 14-year-old girl known as Ava. Um, she is, uh, she, she lives in Florida with her family. Her dad is a retired, uh, Lieutenant police Lieutenant. Okay. Um, she's got like a gajillion followers on, uh, on social media and whatever else it said, like 800 something thousand on, uh, 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 Instagram and like a million on YouTube or something to that effect. I forgot already. Um, she's 14 years old crazy right here we have an 18 year old boy that came across her social media becomes infatuated with her starts messaging her asks her for selfies personalized selfies she sells him a few i think she could tell he's you know is a little bit strange and weird and awkward plus he's a he's an adult male he's 18 and she's 14 and he's you know messaging her pretty uh, privately, but she sells him a few photos. Uh, she said in a statement in, in an attempt to get him to, to bugger off basically to go away. Um, then he ends up buying from friends or associates of hers, personal information like her phone number, her address and all this personal, you know, this PI is personal information and uh, starts messaging her and calling her. And, and he is, at this point, this is online stalking is what this is. She wants nothing to do with this. Her parents got involved. Her father uh, uh, tried to cut things off as well. Um, the uh, 18-year-old stalker was asking her for booty pics and photos of her feet. Um, she blocked him in all her accounts. Um, but he already had her Venmo because, again, he'd already bought some stuff from her. He sends her a total at the, the end of it here, uh, 
Well, he sent her 150. I guess that wasn't a total. It's actually three different amounts: $159, $100, and $368. Via Venmo and says, "Sorry, this is all I have left. I'm broke." He's he's doing everything he can to buy not Potential. good photos from a from a minor, right? She blocks him, right? Again, the father got involved. Uh, Mr. Mar- Ma- Majory, her father, said he texted the individual cell phone and told him that Ava's a minor and demanded that he stop contacting her. Now, keep in mind, this is just coming out. The full story is coming out. This all ha- actually happened back in July of 2020. But we're reporting it now because this didn't really hit the media until till now. And now this, the, the full story has come out. This is a wild story. This 18-year-old stalker traveled from Maryland down to Naples, Florida, where she lived. He armed himself with a shotgun. Again, remember, he managed to get a hold of her personal home address. Shows up at the home. Blows open the front door with the shotgun. The shotgun jams. Has some kind of malfunction. Her father, again, a retired police lieutenant, Chases, you know, goes after him, chases him down, but fell, gashing his knee, it says, according to this article on dailywire.com. Um, the stalker con- continues to flee away. He gets away. Now, here's a, here's a crazy thing. The stalker comes back. Doesn't say exactly how long, but, but I'm assuming a pretty, pretty short while afterward. Returns, points the shotgun at her father. He shot and killed this 18-year-old stalker. So just because we thwarted the initial attack doesn't mean that things are done and over with. Uh, This is true in the the public, you know, uh, armed robbery. Uh, This is true of the carjacking. This is true of, you know, any kind of situation that we cover on this podcast. uh, Just when we think things are done and over with doesn't necessarily always mean it's a case we need to keep our guard up. We need to stay focused on the situation, uh, scanning you know the 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 environment and uh, being aware of what's going on. Right, looking for additional threats or returns of threats. Um, just because we shot a dude and he's laying on the ground and appears to be dead doesn't mean he's isn't going to reanimate, right? And and pose to be another or continue to fight or pose to be a continue to be a threat in some way, right? So lots of lessons we learned from this one here. But again, the father shot and killed him. Okay. Uh, good on him for that. And uh, the rest of the story kind of goes into some of the other background information and talking about uh, she, she had uh, two, two younger brothers, one older brother, one younger brother. And, you know, uh, there's some, some interesting details there. If you want to go read the whole story, you can see all the, you can see the link to this coverage in our show notes of today's episode as is always published with these uh, justified save uh, stories or episodes. Crazy, crazy story. What other lessons do you have for us, uh, Jacob? It's another thing that we got to figure out how to apply this to us. So, you know, I got to tell you, I, I don't have any 14 year old daughters with, you know, a million YouTube subscribers, but yeah. uh, it certainly makes you rethink, you know, what you're putting online, what your kids are putting online. Um, I, I also like the creativity and determination of, of, a, of a crazy person. I think that's, that's a really interesting takeaway for me here is like that he would like figure out and identify via social media who some of her friends are and then contact them and say, Hey, I'll give you money. If you'll give me so-and-so's phone number and address. 
right? And then yeah, some 13, 14, 15 year old kids like, yeah, sweet dude, give me a hundred bucks. Here's her phone number. So I, I think that, you know, crazy people that are determined will generally find a way um, if, if we're, if we're not at all, you know, if we're not totally 100% careful, um, you know, <laughs> how dialed in are you to what your kids are doing? It doesn't take, you know, a, a, someone having a million followers. It takes them having about 10 <laughs> for, for a potential whack job somewhere to be like, Oh, she's pretty. Oh, he, you know, he's, he's cool, whatever. Right. So I think, I think that we got to be pretty proactive in this category and, and overly cautious. I think it's a err on the extreme side of caution with internet and children. I think that's, that's my first takeaway here as the parent. Uh, and secondly, this is not a guy who knocked on the door and said, Hey, can I see your daughter's, you know, so-and-so this is a guy who showed up and just shot. It just, just opened fire immediately. Right. No one's like, Oh, look, it's that stalker. Like they're just like, Oh no, someone's, someone's trying to break into our house with a shotgun, like 10, four. Uh, and, and, you know, thank goodness that shotgun jammed. We don't know where he got the gun. We don't know, you know, but he's 18. He can go buy a shotgun, I guess. So that's no big thing. Anyway. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. And, and it makes you think about, you know, how cautious am I being? Absolutely. Um, yeah, the, uh, we didn't even touch on the whole idea of young children essentially being on social media, which, um, you know, is, is up for parents and their children to figure out. We're not here to tell anybody what to do there, but it certainly is a great cause. Uh, it, it, it gives me pause. You know, we, we, we don't currently allow any of our children to participate in social media. Um, that's, that's going to have to eventually, I mean, eventually it's got to be, that bridge has got to be crossed. You know, that's got to be navigated. That's, a, that's the world we live in. And we recognize that fact kind of dealing with that a little bit with my, my oldest child, who's, uh, 15 years old, you know, and, uh, fortunately I, he doesn't seem to have much interest in social media and he understands some of the challenges and difficulties that can arise from social media. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. But, uh, boy, you know, like you got a 14 year old with millions of people, you know, collectively across all the different accounts. Oh, that's right. TikTok. It was like over a million on TikTok, not YouTube. And then a bunch on Instagram, right? Like that's kind of a scary thing to think about in my, in, to me, you know, that there's that many people in this world that are looking at my, my 14 year old kid, um, who basically posts up pictures of her modeling clothing. It's the way I look at it. I don't know, dude, crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, be, be, uh, be really in tune with what your kids are up to and what they're doing and, and, uh, you know, implement the best policy you can for your family. I thought it was interesting. This family, uh, basically said they're going to let her continue to do her thing. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, um, let's go now to, we're going to have to move along through our remaining stories here. Unless you have any last uh, insights about that last story there. Uh, just a little insight into the teenage um, psyche. Yeah, you know, when someone shows up to your door and shoots it in with a shotgun, your dad has to shoot them and then they die on your front porch. You'd think that that would dissuade you from wanting to be famous on social media. But no, it doesn't. I mean, she very much just said, no, it's totally worth it. I, I get to meet cool people. I got to flow. Someone flew me out to LA and I got to meet some celebrities. And, you know, seeing how many likes I have on my videos makes me feel good. 
I'm, I'm effective. I'm almost quoting like verbatim. So yeah, something to understand. I I read that and picked up on that little statement too, about, Oh, I I feel good. You know, seeing so many likes, I was like, Oh geez. Uh, uh, But, uh, it reduces um, like it, it dumps a dopamine into the bloodstream, right? Like we, there's, there's some very clear studies here. Like the teenage underdeveloped, you know, brain and emotional system, um, gets a high from that kind of in- interaction. And obviously you can get a low when they don't get that interaction. Like it, it's, it's a pretty serious emotional thing. So apparently like that's significantly enough, a part of her world. And it, as it is probably for many of our children yeah. that it, it, you know, it's justified despite someone bleeding out on her front yard, trying to kill her. Yeah. I think her mother said something about, you know, how, well, maybe this is her, calling if you will i don't remember exactly how she worded it to you know bring awareness to these types of issues to the public eye and it's like okay you know again uh each of us as parents of of children those of you out there you got to make the best decisions for you and your and your kids so but this story definitely makes me want to (laughs) shun social media to a large extent but again i recognize the world we're in and and uh you know, uh, it's a probably necessary evil to a large extent. I mean, many of you are catching this podcast on social media. So there's that. Uh, so we're going to continue doing our best to be a positive influence in the world uh, through the, the, you know, our social media channels and the podcast and YouTube and so forth. And uh, anyway, uh, let's go now to our next story. And this one was actually uh, written up by, our man, Matthew Marister, on the oklahoma.concealedcarry.com page. Uh, this happened in Yukon, Oklahoma, uh, which just to the west side of Oklahoma City. In fact, I know one of our podcast listeners lives in Yukon. So, um, so it's probably in his neck of the woods. Yukon Police Department Police Chief issued a statement saying that, uh, that basically what happened is you had a woman who had an ex-boyfriend uh, break into her apartment through a window. Uh, he had been physically, uh, uh, he had physically assaulted her in the past. So obviously there's a reason why they ended up being ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, uh, good for her for getting out of that relationship. Unfortunately, he came back to her, broke into the apartment. She was not expecting him. The uh, deputy chief here said, and when he did arrive and broke into the residence, quoting from him through the window, she was alarmed. And that's when he had begun physically attacking her and yelling at her. He was physically attacking her with his hands and had thrown her to the ground a couple of times. Somehow during the physical attack, she was able to produce the handgun that she had in her possession. And then she fired the one shot, just one shot, which struck the 23-year-old man in the stomach. Uh, He was transported to the hospital and later died. Uh, Wow. Um, Matthew goes on to write a little bit analyzing the story and the statement from uh, the deputy chief there of Yukon police department uh, that he, the chief there said that, uh, uh, you know, that any type of situation like that, that's not normal type of behavior. And in her own residence, she has the right to protect herself. And Matthew just commented, he's like, I, I thought it was interesting that he had to offer this, this uh, quality or yeah, qualitative statement of, well, in, in her own residence, she has the right to protect herself. And, well, don't we have the right to protect ourselves anywhere we are, right? Now, whether that's the intent of that police chief or not, who knows. But 
but it's a fair point. You know, like that's one of the reasons why we've been covering these justified save stories for all these years and continue to do so is to bring this stuff to your attention. Uh, it's to talk about the lessons learned, how to make ourselves better prepared defenders. Uh, it's also to, um, I guess, make the case that this stuff happens every day, all the time, all across this country um, to regular people in that living regular lives, living in regular homes or sometimes mansions uh, doing regular things. And next thing they know, they come under attack, a violent physical attack, robbery, sexual assault, kidnapping attacks by dogs. We've got one of those stories coming up and that's, that is the case for personal defense where we are able to possess and carry and use things like a handgun or a knife or a crossbow. If that's, if that floats your boat, who, who knows? But our founding fathers were, were smart men that had seen what happened in even hundreds of years ago when, when law abiding citizens were disarmed and what it led to. Thank goodness for the second amendment. True that. Jacob, why don't you tell us about this next crazy story? We had a situation where a couple of dogs attacked an autistic little boy. When what happened there? This happened in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I can never figure out how old the boy was. I read this a couple of times. I don't think it ever gave a, a size of human. It just said small child, small boy. Yeah. Um, we have some images or video of him in the uh, yeah. news media interview. And, you know, I, I'd estimate four. Yeah, yeah, pretty young. You know, so just 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 give people an idea. So you have yeah you have, you have two Rottweilers who to this to to date when the news story was written we still haven't identified the owners of these dogs. So yeah. we don't know where they came from. We don't know who owns the dogs. We just, we know they're Rottweilers. Apparently that's yeah that's noteworthy. We got to talk about that. So these two Rottweilers are attacking a small young boy. And uh, a lot of people have kind of gathered. I mean, it's a bit of a crowd it would seem. Uh, of people trying to do something and they, they don't know what to do. You know, people are trying to grab the dogs, they're trying to get them off the boy. Uh, and it's, it, they're, they're feeling relatively helpless. Like their efforts are not going well. Apparently no one just felt like, like wrapping up and tackling one of these Rottweilers. I don't know. Like in my mind, I would think that there were things you could do though. Someone, uh, a man, uh, try to remember his do, name. Do or you his mind if I inter- interject real quick there? Go ahead. It, it did say, especially like in the uh, video interview, um, if you watch the video attached to this news story, um, that there were individuals that were beating on the dogs and, and trying to wrestle them away and stuff like that. Uh, and, and so I know attempts were made. And here's what I do know. I mean, having covered this for a while now and, and being somewhat aware of, I mean, I've never been involved in a dog uh, attack like this, but it, it, Yes, we like to think that there's something we could do. Um, and a lot of times there probably is things that can be done, uh, whether people have the skill set necessary in the moment to do those things that are necessary or the willingness to go to those uh, to that extent. Um, here's the other thing I thought was interesting. As it mentioned in the article and in the uh, news media interview, that uh, that somebody was shooting a paintball gun yeah, very at specific. these dogs. Yeah. And I'm just trying to understand Who's got a paintball gun with them and or has the time to go retrieve one in the, in the moment to use like, like, sorry, I just, I, I, I digress. I just thought Could that have been someone who stopped, you know, was, got it out of their car right then there. Cause Coming that's certainly the what paint, our good Samaritan did. Range. <laughs> yeah. Our, our shooter. I mean, 
I was about to devolve into a, a personal story that would have been a waste of time. But <laughs> but you know, our our good Samaritan who who's driving by sees the crowd, sees what's happened, and stops his car, gets out, and shoots uh, one of the dogs. So in the end, you know, one dog dies. The other one is is retrieved apparently, and they still can't find the owner. Um, the boy is saved. The boy, you know, is, is, is presumably is going to make a recovery. He talks about how he's got some, you know, scrapes and bruises, you know, bite marks and tears and things, but but he's probably going to be okay. Um, an interesting kind of uh, unique thing to the story is that the uh, one an innocent person who was in the the group or the crowd or nearby was hit. Uh, and, and injured as well, whether by a ricochet or by the actual bullet, whether or not it you know went through the dog and hit hit this woman, I don't know, or if it you know, hit the ground and skipped and hit, or if it was a frag. I mean, who knows? But but presumably something related to the shopping fired uh, also injured a 22 year old woman, I think. So that was kind of interesting and 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 noteworthy. Uh, you know, most. Most gun people are dog people. So if you're listening to this, it, it's kind of hard. For, like, it's hard for me to hear, like, the idea of having to shoot a dog because um, they're attacking someone. And, and most dogs aren't inherently violent. They're they're more, you know, tend to be more uh, defensive kind of animals. But we don't know what triggered the dog. It could be any number of things. But dogs are pretty focused uh, in, in those kinds of situations and environments. It would take a lot to get them to, like, stop the attack. And so I, I get that, that that could be a challenge. Um, and, and I think that the main takeaway here, what I like about it or appreciate about it is that from a legal perspective, it's a reminder that it, it doesn't matter if it's a human or a dog um, that presents the threat of serious bodily injury or death. In this case, you know, it, it's, it's really irrelevant. What matters is that there's, uh, you know, likely or intended to cause serious bodily injury death. And so uh, you know, responding with a gun to stop that threat is appropriate in the eyes of the law. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, all other things being equal, I think that's that's a nice, good, relevant reminder of that. Yeah, absolutely. In this story, I mean, um, it really highlights the importance of marksmanship and accountability of rounds. Um, because I mean, here we have a, a vicious attack and, and again, you can go check out the news story yourself. There's a little bit of video you could actually see of the attack that somebody caught on their cell phone. Um, they, they kind of stop it at about the point that the, uh, good Samaritan, uh, draws his gun. Um, and then you hear three shots. Uh, I believe it was three shots that was fired. And, you know, this, this boy, his head, by the way is in the grasp of this dog's mouth is, is, I mean, and he, by the way, he had dozens and dozens of stitches to his face. He had some pretty bad lacerations. Uh, it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty rough. Um, this man had to make a difficult decision and some difficult shots. Uh, man, if called upon to do so, and, and this is not the first time this has happened. It's not the last time it'll happen. Uh, I'm not even saying this is the ideal way of of solving this problem at times. I mean, like you got to read each, each situation for what it is, and make the judgment call of of does your skill set match up with the ability to you know to do what what's needed in this moment? Um, because it it is certainly within the realm of possibilities that I mean, you're trying to save life here, but if your shot is errant and ends up taking or costing life, um, 
it's a zero sum game and that that's that is that's a that's a serious level of accountability and liability you got you got to be prepared to take upon yourself if that's what it comes to that's a serious serious talk um you 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 better you better be at a level that's able to handle that I, I appreciate what you said, uh, not just about the accountability, but also about like, these are tough shots. Like we're not talking about an easy shot to fire. Like dog is lower than you, but presumably the victim is under the dog and you're and the dog's probably moving. And it's very fluid motion. You got people everywhere. Uh, my sense is that the, the ground is, is a hard surface, like a concrete or a stamped concrete or something. Like yeah. It's just not, it's not a fun place to have to discharge a gun. Yep. So that's, that's pretty sucky. Oh, very much so. Very much so. And I'll say, like, from a tactical perspective, the the closer you can get, you know, the greater you increase your probability of success, and and of and of limiting the uh, the problems with associated with missing. You know, uh, and, and again, it was uh, noted that uh, apparently the individual was struck by a by something as a result of a round is believed it was in fact a ricochet that it was a fragment of a bullet. And that's, that's a, that's a reality of operating in an urban environment where you have a lot of hard surfaces, concrete, asphalt, brick, uh, et cetera. Um, and so we've got to be prepared for that as well. All right. So realizing too, that, that you're shooting likely downward into an animal and even just over penetration, which is greater likelihood due to, I mean, Rottweiler is not necessarily a small dog, but uh, most likely the torso and the and the the meat that's on that dog is maybe not quite as substantial or as wide as as a human target that our defensive loads are designed for. Uh, keep in mind that bullet can pass through, or or if we miss and hit the ground, and now we have fragments that are feet, if not inches, away from uh, the individual we're trying to rescue, the child here, and they they may catch some fragment as well. So. Again, difficult decisions to be made, and uh, prepare yourself for that. If if, if it comes to that, um, I, I would think that alternate means, uh, especially in close proximity to our victim, probably preferred to be tried first. Um, but we got to read the situation for what it is, and the uh, what's the word? The the uh, uh, immediacy. The the uh, the in, uh, crap. What's the legal term? Crap. Uh, imminent. The imminence. Oh uh, yeah, I was situation. like, I don't know what term you're thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> imminent. I knew go. it started with an I. I'm like, what's the word? Uh, the imminence of of the danger to the individual, you know, there, and uh, uh, that's all got to be a factor. So, yeah. Let's go to now we've got New Orleans. And this is a story I think you mentioned briefly in our intro, Jacob. We got a mother in the New Orleans area. She's stuck on I 10 in busy traffic. Can't traffic came to a standstill. Uh, she's got her two year old child with her in the car. She's on her way to try to pick up her husband from, uh, well, it actually doesn't say from work or anything, but she says she's just trying to pick up her husband in the car. She gets stuck in traffic. There is a, I believe it was a truck uh, or some other large vehicle. Um, a group of people in a truck motioned her to, uh, well, it, said, it says to move over. There it is. Yep. But then yep. she says, so I let them in. So I don't know if they're like trying to merge and they're like, hey, let us in or, you know, whatever. But what it, 
I don't, I don't even, we yeah. don't even know if this is relevant to what happened, but yeah, a yeah. group of people in a truck are motion her to move over and she lets them in. Exactly. Whether these like, cause then what happens is, and, and it could be as simple as in the moment that she's communicating, you know, through sign language, essentially with this truck and with these, with these men in that truck to let them in. And she lets them in that that might be all it takes for her to be distracted in the moment. Because then what happens is as as shortly after a man approaches her passenger uh, side door and is starting to try to get into her car, you know, he's grabbed the door handle and he's, he's yanking for all he's, all he's worth motion at it, motioning at her through the window, you know, obviously giving the indication like, let me in or that he's intent on trying to get in. And obviously she does the right thing and not doesn't give into that. Uh, she makes the judgment call that this is a, this is a safety problem. And I got my two year old son in here with me. Um, she, she draws her gun and points it at the man, uh, does not fire any shots. Uh, so that's fortunate. And that's enough to apparently break off this, uh, apparent carjacking or whatever this was. Uh, is it kind of interesting in the, uh, video, uh, that the news reporting did on this, there was a little bit more context there uh, than was in the written article. Um, they even are interview some local attorney who gives his own analysis of the situation. And he's talking about uh, how, uh, and even the, the woman involved here, she's a, a 15 year old, 15, not year old, but 15 year air force veteran. Um, she, they both mentioned how the police report mentions that this was a disturbance and they're kind of appalled at that. But, I can kind of see how that would be because I'm not sure what else we call this. You know, was this a, a, an attempted carjacking? I don't know. Was this, uh, was he assaulting her? No. Was he trying to, you know, rob her? And as, I don't know. There's no mention of the individual at the, at the side of the car having any, any weapon or a report of anything that was said specifically. Um, just a dude that was trying to work his way into her vehicle. Now, I'm not trying to downplay her side of the story at all, just that. I don't know what else we call that. So I can kind of see maybe to some extent, maybe we're the reporting on this from the police side was kind of maybe not what they would have expected it to be. Um, and I don't know if anything more is going to come of this from, you know, uh, we don't know who the individual was and, and he got away and, you know, we don't know what's, what's going to come of that. So uh, my, my, my takeaway here though, besides awareness Right. And, and how easy it is to get distracted, perhaps maybe not see somebody approach, especially from our blind side. Um, you know, all those kinds of things uh, I, like the, those, those are all relevant things to consider and, and think about how we implement into our daily uh, life and, and practices and our travel and and, and, and whatnot. Um, but also just the fact that we know that on a daily basis, there are many, many, many unreported incidents where guns are drawn and shots are not fired and nobody is hurt. But the presence of a gun deters violent crime from occurring. And that's what it appears like occurred here. And as, as to the justification of, well, dude's just pulling on the door of my car. And is that justification or not for me to point my gun at him? I, I don't know. I think that question is always to me is one of the more difficult things to answer 
that I think is very situationally dependent and is not perfectly clarified, I think, in a lot of state laws. But um, but anyway, that's 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 all I got to say about that. You know, if you got anything else, I'm all, I'm always all all ears. I just think the emphasis of a locked door here made all the difference, right? You you can be John Wick and you know turn your head a little bit to the left and wave at some dude in a truck so he can you know merge in and in you know well, what is a split second you know, effectively someone can open that door, climb in, and put a knife to your throat or a gun to your head. So you know the the door being locked is the key big thing here that someone did right that made all the difference. So you know, my vehicle, for example, when you put it into gear, it locks all the doors. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in gridlock pa- pa- uh, traffic and I were to throw it into park because I don't want to waste gas or something, maybe I don't know, um, then it would unlock all my doors uh, by default. That's the standard you know way it's it's programmed by default. So anyway, a thought there about are you locking your doors when you're driving? Maybe maybe you're not in gridlock traffic. Maybe you're just at a stop light behind a couple of cars, a couple of cars mm-hmm. behind you. Mm-hmm. That would produce similar environment here for this kind of a thing to happen. So, you know, how does your car, a lot of modern cars, you know, automatically lock and unlock. You've been thinking about that for a minute and, and considering that in this case, the door being locked is, you know, saved the day. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, leave yourself room to, to maneuver and navigate if possible, where possible. Um, yeah, lots lots of good things to consider here. So, uh, two more stories. We'll try to get through these uh, quickly. Uh, Bowie, Maryland. I looked that up, by the way. I, I had to confirm pronunciation. I was like, how do you pronounce Bowie? It looks like Bowie, you know, Maryland. And like, fortunately, there was a, there was a Google reser- result on that. Bowie, Maryland, robbery victim shoots 17-year-old in self-defense, four teens charged. Not a ton of detail here uh, as far as the specific event, but what we have were, I believe, four uh, um, uh, young teenage... Four uh, suspects who had handguns. Suspects, there we go, uh, with a handgun. They approached this individual. It appears that it took place outside somewhere on the street, presumably. Uh, The victim was approached. He took out his own handgun. Uh, and fired and ended up shooting one of the suspects that that uh, victim or that that group fled the scene the uh, police found a 15 year old suspect and the 17 year old suspect who was the individual that was wounded who turned himself in for treatment and then later found two other teens that had crashed a vehicle presumably stolen and uh, they were they were uh, arrested as well and and all four teens are being charged the three oldest teens because we have a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, and I believe a... Another 17. Yeah, 15, 16, and then two 17-year-olds. Oh, yeah, yep. yep. Yeah. And uh, the three oldest ones have been charged as adults. Um, and that's pretty much all we have on that one. But, you know, that's that's the nature of our, our world that we are in right now is a lot of violent crime uh, is even being committed by young, relatively young, you know, kids, basically. Uh, to your point, Jacob, you said earlier in the show today, uh, whether it's a grown man, whether it's a dog, whether it's a 14-year-old kid with a gun in his hand or a knife, like there, a case can be made for all sorts of circumstances and situations uh, where deadly force may be necessary to defend life. And that's a tough thing sometimes for people to wrap their head around, um, but that is unfortunately the reality. 
Yeah, and I <clears throat> lately I've been I, I have this thing I do in my head and I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast before, but I, I these days I classify criminals into two categories, stupid criminals and smart criminals. Mm-hmm. And a stupid criminal or excuse me, a smart these are these are smart criminals because smart criminals, when you present a gun, they run. And uh, generally, I think my my observation would be that most criminals are smart criminals. When they see guns, they tend to run. Maybe they fire first and then they run, but generally they flee. Then you have stupid criminals. Stupid criminals, they they don't run. They engage and they pursue. So, Frank, this guy could be lucky because it doesn't say four teens with a handgun. It said four suspects with handguns. So did two of them have handguns? Did all four of them have handguns? Uh, that's not very clear. But if you have four, you know, young strapling males approaching you with guns in their hands strapping, all four of them strapping strapling strapping strapling. I, I don't know what the right word is strapping i don't i don't do expressions well uh despite my best efforts <laughs> sorry so you're, you're fine thanks for helping me you know in case anyone's like what is jacob this is a new term jacob's introduced i don't know what it means <laughs> um that's a bad day that's a super bad day you know and if you if you engage and they turn out to be stupid criminals and they they engage back. That's super. Like I do not want to be taking gunfire from four people moving in different directions. That would super suck. So something to to think about in terms of your response. You know, criminals seem to be flocking together in larger groups, particularly juveniles. Oh yeah, there's yeah. I would agree with that. Um, I I I I don't know whether stupid or smart or not, but I do think that it's probably hardwired into the human psyche that when you know bullets start flying in your direction and loud bangs and noises you tend to try to go the other way but uh but it doesn't uh, always happen does it <laughs> no it doesn't that's true there are stupid criminals that, that that do go toward the gunfire yeah it makes me wonder too like yeah how much of that is experience related and you know the, the fact that they've been in gunfights before and it doesn't phase them so like stupid or they're or not, on drugs or they're just extremely emotionally yeah. committed because they want your bunker or your exactly. daughter or yeah. whatever thing it is no kidding, no kidding. Uh, you know more and more i become convinced well i shouldn't say i have to be con- convinced uh but the longer i do this the more examples that i see that just reinforces the idea um that criminals particularly like professional criminals. I don't know whether these teens are professional criminals or not, if we can classify that, but, but people that their lifestyle is being a criminal. They don't think like the rest of us. They don't operate like the rest of us. Um, We are not them and they are not us, you know, talking about law by folk and criminal folk. We need to understand that. And that's a difficult thing to understand and wrap our heads around sometimes. Um, But that is the reality that, they may do things that we don't expect that don't make sense to us that don't make sense. Um, understanding the criminal mind and the criminal element, the more we understand that, the better prepared we can be to handle, um, the outcomes and and potential outcomes of situations like, like these. So it's interesting for you to use the word professional criminal, because you know, these are four teens that had guns and and Mm -hmm. were in possession of a car stolen from Virginia. Uh, mm-hmm. Several days previously, yeah, they're true. in Maryland. So, you know, it's not outlandish to call these juveniles professional criminals if they're stealing cars from other states yep. and rocking with handguns. They're not strangers to crime. 
Like they're, they're, they're inoculated to the, some of that stress. They just happen to be smart enough to run when someone shoots at them. 100%. That as, as far as like age is not a determining factor in whether they are considered professionals or, or not. By the way, I decided to do a little more looking here, and Bowie, Maryland is, uh, is kind of on the far east, eastern reaches of the Washington, D.C. metro area, um, which... Um, is not exact. I mean, it's on the op. Yeah, it's not far from Virginia, so they didn't have to go far. But it is on the complete opposite side of Washington D.C. from Virginia. Anyway, interesting, relevant information there. Final story: shooting death ruled justifiable after juvenile shoots back at intruder. So here's our juvenile defending themselves story from News 19 wltx.com jacob give us a rundown here on this one out of richland county south carolina yep pretty short on the detail uh we have two juveniles at home uh i don't know their ages i read this whole thing i did not see their ages but they're juveniles Mm -hmm. and they see a man quote trying to break in end quote so presumably there's noise or they see it through a window or a peephole or something and the juveniles hid i don't know where they hid or you know, behind what or in a closet. I don't know. But the juveniles hid. And when the man entered the apartment, one of the juveniles, uh, or excuse me, when the man entered the apartment, he fired at them. So the BG comes in and fires at the hiding juveniles. At this time, one of the juveniles shot back with, quote, a weapon that was in the home, end quote, and, and struck the intruder. So this is this is pretty wild because, again, we don't know the we don't know the objective. We don't know the motive. We don't know if this guy was known to these people. We don't know. I mean, was it was it the you know the deadbeat you know daddy you know who's been gone for a while, or is this some random stranger? Does this guy even know what he's breaking into? Does he think this is his his ex wife's house or the a drug house or you know who knows? What we know is the dude came through the door when he saw humans, he shot at them. And these juveniles, one of them returned fire and, and hit him. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much the story. But again, this is where, you know, we, we have states like Colorado did last year and others are considering it this year. Uh, Washington State did something similar not that long ago, too, where it passed legislation that requires safe storage of firearms you know, whatever they define that as. Um, And usually those are wholesale policies or laws. And, and, and I struggle with that because it takes out of our hands as individuals and as parents, our ability to make the best decisions that we feel we can for our households, for our families you know, so you have a technically juvenile at home, but maybe he's 16 years old. And by the law, maybe, you know, the law says, well, the gun's got to be locked up. It's got to be stored securely and the, and the minors can't have access to it. Well, by golly, I, I can point to numerous examples where underage kids have successfully defended themselves against intruders and violent attacks. And in some cases, saving their own parents from intruders and violent attacks with a gun. So like the one, like 
there's again a number of examples, but there's one that very much like pops into my mind right now, which I think was a 12 year old. And that's maybe a little bit extreme, but a 12 year old kid who shot back an intruder with an AK 47. Yeah. I remember that. I was like in Tennessee or something, you know, several years ago, like that just, that would make normal people's heads in the media just like explode. (laughs) You know, like 12 year old with an AK 47. How can that be? But yet this kid like prevented a violent criminal act because for whatever reason, he had access to an AK 47. I'm not yeah. saying I let my, my 12 year old have access to one, but, but Hey, like whatever, like my point is, is that families should be able to make these decisions for themselves and that every family and every household can be, can, can be different. I don't like, like as a general rule, we keep guns locked up from kids. Um, but I recognize that not everybody's situation is the same. Like that families are different from family to family, from household to household, from person to person. Um, and I, I look back to how I grew up. I had access to guns, you know, maybe not at age 10 or 11, but you know, 14, 15, 16 had access to 22. You know, could I defend myself with that? Yeah, I could. Kids have, yeah. You know, anyway, yeah, I don't. I don't have anything to add. Uh, definitely a family decision that should be left with the family. And obviously, there's plenty of incidents of kids also doing dumb things with guns, absolutely and hurting themselves and others. Right. So, so it's all about balance and education and and uh, and and experience and wisdom. And, and parents should yep. be trusted to to do that. Yep. Yes, one hundred percent. And that's that's the problem is we make these wholesale uh, statutory changes, and it doesn't take into account any of that. It just says, no, this is the law. And you got to comply. And, uh, well, we have two young kids here. Well, we don't know exactly how old they were. That might be dead today. And again, they took gunfire. Gun yeah. safety is supposed to save lives. But anyway, all right. Well, we got to wrap this up. We were over time, but we appreciate you all. It's been a, been a great episode. Uh, you know, spent a good amount of time talking about and analyzing a wild, crazy story and a few others here as well. Uh, yeah, ponder these things and and think about what they mean for you and make the best decisions you can to hopefully be a little bit better prepared, um, be constantly vigilant, practicing, furthering your skills of all kinds, not just in the application of a gun. But I mean, this is, we recognize that there are opportunities in so many situations, both in terms of the use of the gun, but also verbal de-escalation, hand-to-hand skills, um, awareness, um, you know, home defense plans, uh, you know, all kinds of various tactical and defensive decisions. And also all the way down to that one thing we didn't even touch about or touch on with that, uh, that, that story, uh, you know, that the, the, uh, bunker house story, uh, was the fact that the father was shot three times and, uh, medical attention was likely necessary. And, you know, fortunately, apparently the dude was okay. Right. But like, Hey, you know, what is your, what, what is not only your defense strategy or plan, but also your medical plan, um, in, in all these various contexts. So lots of things to consider and take away from this. A reminder of our episode sponsors today being ccwsafe.com and also mountaincitysupply.com for your ammunition needs. 
Uh, we appreciate your support of our sponsors that support us and make this possible. Before we let you go, we do need to announce our weekly podcast giveaway winner. We do this once a week. You sign up each week at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Fill out the little form there. You're automatically entered, but you do need to do that each week. And this week we're giving away a free MCF Spark flashlight from Ready Up Gear. Great little compact, uh, great EDC um, concealed carry type, you know, flashlight. Jacob's about to pull his out. There you go. One of you lucky buggers can get one of those. Okay, I'm, we're going to announce the winner here in just a moment. But next week we're giving away a pack of nine uh, millimeter dummy rounds from Ready Up Gear as well. Great quality uh, dummy round. In fact, I think they're the best ones out there in the market, period. And I've tried a bunch of them. In fact, I I just got some new dummy rounds today uh, that are in a caliber that are not currently available for Ready Up Gear. Uh, and I was like, eh. I, I look forward to when we have more Ready Up Gear uh, calibers available, which Me we too. hope is coming. We hope. We're working on that. Anyway, so next week, winner, we'll get 9mm dummy rounds from Ready Up Gear. The Spark Flashlight winner, Jacob, you have the uh, winner in front of you there? Or should I? You go ahead. I, cl- I closed okay. it. Here we go. The winner is Ed R. Last name starts with R. Um, Ed, congratulations. Uh, y- you have already been actually emailed by our producer, Matthew Marister, uh, not- notifying you about winning the MCF Spark Flashlight. Congratulations, sir. And again, folks, don't forget to sign up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and share it with your family and friends. Because frankly, why shouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? You get extra entries. And why wouldn't you share the love of the Concealed Carry podcast with your family (laughs) and friends too? All right. So with that, we're going to sign on out of here, uh, Jacob. Last words. Or do you thank you for uh, all the great stories and 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 you and Matthew who researched those. Those that was that was quite a good one. Yeah. Until next time, folks, be safe out there, be smart, make good decisions, and a reminder, until next time, train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.